Hello and welcome to episode 171 of What Most People Think. Now, I'm recording this, it's Tuesday, the day after Halloween, and I learned a couple of things last night, is that if you forget that it's Halloween, and there's a ring on the doorbell, and you open the door, and there's a little four-year-old standing there with a screen mask on, you might shit yourself. It's like weird, I don't know why kids are so scary, what is it with kids in in horror films? They are terrifying, and then I, I had a second... Uh, learning of the evening which was that my wife and son were out so I had to do I had to dish out all the chocolates and and people don't really want to get chocolates off a lone middle-aged man with no other evidence of family around him they're just like yeah you know mate (laughs) you know mate you're all right I'll tell you what you you can keep that uh you can keep that miniature whisper and in the background (laughs) you can hear laughing a man who has recently joined the ranks of uh, middle-aged daddies friend of the show Leo Curse welcome back mate hey Jeff how you doing I'm good, I'm good. I was just saying before we uh, started recording, I'm looking at you here online and you've got that that face of the new dad. I don't know if it's sleep deprivation, but there's a slightly softer look for your face. Is it, are your wife and child emitting pheromones that are robbing you of your masculinity? Apparently that's what happens. Like men go through changes as well. So we go through hormonal changes. Some, some men lactate. I'm not lactating. That some men can actually lactate. They, they absorb the hormones. The baby, when the baby's born, the baby's often lactating because it's got all the, the mother's hormones in it. But also, apparently, our brains uh, shrink. Mm. And I think it shrinks more if it's a boy. And I don't know if that... I just read the headline because my brain's shrunk so much I can't, like, you know, uh, mm. go, go in any deeper. But um, I don't know if the shrinking is actually bad for you or if it happens... I, I don't know what the sort of... Um, what the purpose of the brain shrinking is. But yeah, yeah, babies make your brain shrink. Well, they, there's all sorts of weird things. Like at night, the, your wife emits sort of pacifying hormones um, to make sure essentially that you just don't lob the baby out of the cave. That's the standard. Right. I wish you'd admit pacifying hormones when we're like crossing the road and there's a trucker going through a red light. That'd be... <laughs> she's like screaming at one today. It'd be, it'd be so, great if they could in, imbibe their own pacifying hormones in some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how, how, are you, how are you finding it, mate? I mean, that, that is what men often ask each other, which is a very cagey sort of like, there's no inferences there. Like, there's no expectation that it's supposed to be joyous. But, but are, you, <laughs> are, are you having a good time? Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're past the, the point in society now where you could just leave to get a packet of cigarettes and never come back, you know, because... Mm. Because of social media and everything, like you're, you're always the child support agency are always going to be able to track you down. But, uh, but no, I'm, fi- I'm finding it great. I'm really enjoying it. Like it's uh, every. I was so ready for it to be this cataclysmic sort of. Even in the the antenatal class, the, the midwife was saying like, "Oh, you're going to be the first few weeks. You're just going to be in a blur. You're just going to have mm. nappies up to your eyeballs. You're not going to be able to feed yourself or get anything done." And it's not been like that at all. I mean, yeah, obviously it's, it's work and, you know, I've got to, I do one of the night feeds, so I'm getting less sleep. But I think if you're used to being a comedian and used to sort of being up at night and getting, driving to a hall or whatever and getting yeah. back at 3 a.m., then then you're used to that. Like the, It's nowhere near as tired as I've been doing like the Edinburgh Fringe or doing like, you know, when you do tours of like... <laughs> I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? The, the Edinburgh Fringe <laughs> is yeah. more exacting than becoming a new parent. And raising raising a baby, raising a baby is actually cheaper than doing the Edinburgh Fringe as well. That's true. Oh, yeah, I reckon it compares with getting a kid to about the age of fourteen. Uh, 
It gets like a slightly, I mean, the reviews, I would say the, the reviews off your child, certainly in the first nine years are pretty good. And then <laughs> by the time they become teenage, you'd probably prefer to be getting the reviews that you were uh, off the list, or certainly I was anyway. Um, you mentioned there about the, the midwives um, and, and them sort of preparing, or sort of the antenatal class, preparing you for the worst. I wonder if there's a little bit like, you know, this upcoming budget that we've got, that Rishi yeah. and, and Jeremy Hanna just go, oh, it's good, a bit, oh, it's good, oh, taxes, bad yeah. stuff. And then on the yeah. day, go, that wasn't actually that bad. All right, they're freezing the thresholds. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I I got it, three hours sleep. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, I don't trust that they're not going to like absolutely stick us for all the tax they can possibly get. Because, I mean, tax tax takes in this country, around about when uh, you know the Beatles wrote Tax Man, that was uh, 95%. The top rate of, of income yeah. tax was 95%. And I know some people, and it, it led to like loads of people leaving the country. But yeah, man, I, I believe like the, uh, politicians never. I think we're going to miss Liz Truss. I think everybody's <laughs> going to be like, wait a minute, maybe she was all right with her I- crazy ideas of lowering taxes. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should have go, gone for growth. Which does sound like yeah. a daytime quiz show. Go for growth. What's that going for gold? <laughs> With Henry Kelly. There's a lot of stuff for our regular statistician and expert, David Domain, to pick up on then. And speaking of which, the main talking point from, I think this was going back a couple of episodes, was we had Richard Herring on. He's got a new book uh, talking about his, uh, his bollock cancer. And we were talking about the rate at which men can produce sperm. And he just slightly clarifies here. He says, uh, a male's body is constantly create, creating sperm, but sperm regeneration is not immediate. It takes a male around 74 days to produce new sperm, sperm from start to finish. So there we go. Not quite as prolific as we thought. Maybe we can't repopulate a whole continent, but maybe we could repopulate several countries within the day. But that's like a production line. It's not like that's just one sperm and it's 74 days and then they start with another sperm. They've got loads yeah. of sperm on the go all the time. Oh, I see, I, I see what you mean. That's just to keep it going. You know, like... You know, like those those rides at like Chessington World of Events Adventures, where you have to kind of hop yeah. on because the thing's still moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did just compare a log flume with a man's sperm. I mean, yeah. log flume, <laughs> yeah. log flume does sound like a euphemism, doesn't it? Do you know? Yeah, if you're standing in the right place, you do get splashed in the face. So, <laughs> do you want to step on my hog, log flume, love? Sorry, you sorry, you're not tall enough. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather do that than by age. I mean, obviously, age is... Anyway, let's move on. So we've got Leo on the show. We'll be talking, of course, coming up about Matt Hancock going into I'm a Celebrity. We'll be talking about the uh, immigration becoming a live debate as well, the budget, catching up on all the political stuff. And uh, Leo himself, um, in terms of sort of comedy news, was trying to get a tour going and has come up against a lot of resistance in terms of venues not wanting to take it because he's too problematic. So I will be talking to Leo about that later in the show. Uh, new patrons, uh, new patrons. I'll be reminding you of a couple of specific uh, Patreon benefits coming up. I'm going to do, probably do an online gig uh, in early January as well because we got these Patreon own well these Jeff Norcott and Friends gigs in January and March. But I think for the people that can't come to either London or Leeds, I think I'll do another online one. Uh, but a couple of people have upgraded to become VIPs. Julia, the one named Julia, has become a VIP. Cheers for that. Uh, Andrew Booth. I don't know why, but I have to say that a bit like uh, Richie Benno there. Andrew Booth, with a lovely cutaway down there to uh, <laughs> shortly. I mean, that is just, that is, the, that is the impression that everyone does. Do you remember like in the 80s, all the impressions just did Frank Bruno, Margaret Thatcher and Frank Spencer? <laughs> and Stella Black as well. 
Man, there's still comedians on the circuit doing still a black impressions. It's like she's been dead about 25 years. I mean, yeah, there was um, Chris Eubank as well, wasn't there? Everyone could do a, <laughs> yeah. a passable. I, I used to do an impression of Nigel Benn. I thought his voice was a bit more interesting. You know, that old Chris Eubank. This geezer's come here to box me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Is that culturally okay for me to do an impression of... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was then. It was just fun then, but now they've got to take the fun out of everything. Yeah, I, I did get I did get a bad reaction once when I was... I mentioned this with Ishan Akbar that was on the podcast. I was doing an impression of the uh, the cricketer Monty Panesar. And, um, oh, yeah. It was just one... It was, this is back in 2007. It was one of my first brushes with uh, me becoming a dinosaur. It was just that it was on a sport... <laughs> it was on a sports show. It was just that everything came to a halt. Yeah. And I was like looking around going, what, what have I done? Was it was that the impression that bad? <laughs> but apparently I should, just shouldn't have done it in the in the first place. Um, yeah. I also got in trouble recently for doing an impression of Donkey out of Shrek because obviously Eddie Murphy's a black guy. Oh, I would right. say, I was sort of thinking, I thought Donkey didn't have a race personally. But... Yeah, he's not like a black donkey. No, he's just Donkey, right? Yeah. yeah I, did, I did a shitty Scottish impression and no one, uh, no one stuck up for the ogres. Um, ben, uh, yeah, yeah. Scott, anti-Scottishness is the last acceptable racism. Is it? Well, let's just get it all off our chest then. Can we, can we still say, what's the sweaties? I mean, that that was the old one from the 80s, wasn't it? The yeah. sweaties, sweaty sock, the jock. Is there any other, like, sort of racial epithets for Scottish people? Oh, yeah, there's, there's got to be. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. I just made one up in my head, shortbread muncher. But that's that's not that's not a thing. I just I was trying to think what one would be. It's, not that, it's that. not that insulting either that you like a... Uh, I mean, no offense to your people, Leo, but shortbread is just—it's shortbread. There's a reason why that's the one they give you in hotels, isn't it? Because it's, that it's is just the flour. <laughs> it's just pressed flour. It's pressed flour, and it, the, the biscuits you get in never hotels are never the good ones, are they? No, they're, no, that's the one, the... they're they're built to last rather than <laughs> they're built for like continuity rather than pleasure. And yeah, unlike. Unlike Scottish people, really, you know, it's just irony there. <laughs> Shortbread actually has quite a long life expectancy. Um, there you go. We did a Scottish life expectancy gag. I think did that come in before ten, ten before the ten minute mark? I think so. Fair play to us. Um, you know, satisfying all the cliches about our our comedic tribe. Uh, ben Admonson also is upgraded a little bit. Thank you um, for that, Ben Admonson. A- Amonson. Am- Amonson. Ben Amundsen. I think I that's a Norwegian name. Yeah, yeah. He's a son of Amund. We had this discussion recently about that. About that. Uh, like, is, is your child, I can't remember, if you had a girl or a boy? Girl. A girl. So what? There was a funny moment at the, at the hospital when we went in for, before she was born, so we went in for a checkup and um, like, so the, do- the doctor was like, um, this young lass, he must have been about 30. And uh, like the doctor's like, um, she's like, are you having a boy or a girl? And my wife went, oh, she's, uh, we're having a girl, you know, and then went, unless, you know, she comes out different, meaning unless she's got a dick when she mm. comes out. But obviously the doctor thought we meant unless she wants a different gender or something yeah. like that. It was all like, oh, yes, no, of course, you know? Yeah, no, of course, yeah, you know. <laughs> that happens now, you know. I mean, just just keep, keep, keep them peeled. Gender non-specific toys. Is there any greater pleasure than when you've got a very liberal couple, you know, who at Christmas say, yeah, no, get the kids presents, but we are trying to not gender the toys. I mean, to me, that is an absolute red rag to go, I'm going to get the fucking noisiest replica Uzi. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, stuff that's illegal now. Stuff that you can only get by going back to 1982. Yeah. Re- reconditioned Second World War rifles. They were actually used <laughs> on the battlefield. I was thinking about the old the old toys, like the gendered toys, because yeah. <clears throat> they was always made out like girls' ones always sucked and they were always like domestic ones. Do you remember there's that one of, there was just a kitchen? I always remember this from growing up, and then yeah. the girl takes her dad in for his birthday, uh, a little kind of Arctic roll on a plate for breakfast. Um, yeah, because they'd have little ovens that would actually cook like tiny little cupcakes and stuff. I think it was just a bulb that heated them up or something. Yeah, it was, it was making like uh, like a like their play was was a chore. Yeah, yeah, no, that was brutal. We're doing that right across society now. Even stuff, stuff that adults do for fun. So, like meditation, it's just boredom. We've just sort of repackaged boredom as yeah. meditation, and now you've got to pay for it. Now you've got to pay for like you know, you go and sit in a room like with other people or whatever, and like you know, be bored, sit and think about nothing, which is just like a you know, that's a Sunday afternoon in the eighties. Yeah, just stare. I mean, do you remember that uh, Mickey Flanagan bit? He had that brilliant bit about, I was doing nothing. I mean, fucking nothing. I mean, staring at a fucking wall. <laughs> Dude, that, that, kind of, that kind of thing doesn't exist now. I do think you're right yeah. about meditation. I mean, I, I, so I did one the other day. I used to meditate a bit. Haven't done it for a while. And the other day I had a really busy day and we had friends coming over and I cranked out a 15-minute job. And um, I felt lo- loads better. I mean, it is shocking how much better it, do- it can make you feel if you do a good one. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. But then on, on the other hand, I sometimes think like what it takes, this is, you know, like if you've got to meditate, if you've got to cut out dairy, if you've got to do chanting and go yeah. to a flotation tank, if, if if that's all it takes, if you need all of that just to feel on the level. I, yeah. I was saying this a few episodes ago, it's almost like a kink, isn't it? Like, you can't feel calm unless you've done like these fifteen things, you know, tied it up in a fucking bin bag, and just yeah, you know, unless unless I've just watched, you know, I've, uh, I, you know, I've got some scent in the room, and you think all of this is just so you can feel calm. Would it be better to yeah. have more of a laugh and feel a bit anxious sometimes? That was the question, yeah. like a philosophical question. Yeah, yeah, I think people were trying to sort of almost medicalize things like anxiety that are just, you know, you get pills. You get pills for like social anxiety. It's like you're supposed to feel anxious in a social situation. You shouldn't be medicating that away. You're supposed to feel anxious to make, it'll stop you making a prick of yourself. I I mean, I think it is one of the things that always makes me a bit tense is a one-on-one dinner with somebody, anybody. Yeah, I've been married 20 years. But just just the pressure in that first 20 minutes before you've, that you know food is coming or you've got alcohol, I have to really break the back of it. To feel yeah. to to feel safe, I've I've always thought that when you get to a restaurant, they should basically give you a shot on arrival and a just a, <laughs> a bit a bit of bread, like a bread roll, as you're coming in. All right, we're gonna do a, a quick thank you and a fuck you. So, have you got a bit of gratitude and a bit of bile? I got a thank you, and it is to Matt Hancock for just when you thought political debate was in the mud again. And there's been some difficult subjects. Matt Hancock, he announces that he's going on I'm a Celebrity. And it's just a thing of joy, isn't it? I think this we've got to appreciate. Matt Hancock is a joy giver. It's yeah. just when things are getting serious in a pandemic, he'll crop up on telly and he'll do some pretend crying or he'll give us a photo <laughs> of him grabbing someone's ass like a 12-year-old. And then he's been out. Then, then you know, when Rishi came in, there was that, that image of him getting blanked by Rishi. Now we realise... That that moment there, that was when Matt Hancock must have gone. Uh, right, fuck it, I'm doing celebrity. 
<laughs> because <laughs> his agent must have been straight on the phone going, okay, Matt, look, it ain't happening, mate. Um, I tell you what, <laughs> ITV is still in touch. And you know what? Insect smoothies don't even taste that bad when you're starving. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, yeah. he has shown himself to be a bit thirsty, isn't he, by doing this? Yeah, absolutely. And like another uh, another MP, I can't remember who it was. He's lost. He's lost the weapon stuff. But um, another MP said, uh, "I've I've just got to find out who said it." Yeah. So he's, he was criticised by the deputy chair of the West Suffolk Conservative Association, Andy Drummond, who said, "I'm looking forward to him eating a kangaroo penis." You can quote me on that. But I love the fact that you know Matt Hancock. You know what he said is his excuse for going on. I'm a celebrity. He said, oh. "Well, the, the government's." The government's finally at a, a, a position where it's very stable. And it's like, whoa, it's five minutes since, like, it, it was, you know, we've been yeah. five minutes since the leadership election. It's not stable. We've got, like, maybe just a, a moment of stability. But I guarantee you, like, Rishi's going to have trouble holding the holding the government together. So the last thing it is is stable. But I think, yeah, like, a lot of, uh, a lot of politicians, they crave fame. Maybe after a certain point, they crave fame more than they... And I think, I think it does terrible things for their... Uh, for their sort of legitimacy and for their like longer term careers, like George Galloway, um, every remembers him for. I mean, there's a lot of terrible things you can remember George Galloway for, but everybody just remembers him for that, you know, uh, acting like a cat on Big Brother. <laughs> God, I haven't watched that in years. That was one of the most appalling. I mean, that was yeah, that was one of the most appalling things I've ever seen. But I feel certain yeah. that Matt Hancock is gonna provide us with new content in that world of politicians just debasing themselves i think yeah. that i mean he loves he loves an emotional moment and um, when he wins a bush tucker challenge or something like if he wins like a sachet of salt for the camp he'll fucking just break down like and it will, he'll mean it he'll he'll, he'll just be just just after the pandemic just a bit of validation and he'll obviously have because the thing is most people are going i'm a celebrity have a story that they wish to tell to the British public, right? Most people. You know, our yeah. friend Sean Walsh is going on there. Sean Walsh had a ridiculous overreaction to what he did. So, you know, obviously we, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm team Walsh, you know. I hope that Sean, uh, it's going to be- Oh yeah, like I remember that. So he was on Strictly, Strictly Come Dancing or whatever it's called. Yeah. And he, uh, he was felt, he was photographed like kissing his, his dance partner. Yeah. While in a relationship, yeah. Like yeah, he had a he had a girlfriend or whatever. But like the thing that the papers didn't say was she was really fit. So, <laughs> David, you know, I, I I said that at the time. It was that it was that funny thing of your missus where where you know you were sort of talking about the story and you were going, ah, oh, 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 what was he playing at? What was he, I mean, Matt, Katia though. You know, <laughs> I mean, he said, and the thing was, obviously, he said, you know, since being in a relationship, you know, he, reg he regrets doing that. But like, yeah. as he, he had a brilliant Edinburgh show this year and he said people were dressing as him for Halloween that year. I mean, that is, yeah. that is such a fucking overreaction. Yeah. But Matt, but Matt Hancock, I mean, I think that, I think that what will probably happen and a lot of people have spoken about this already is, you know, there's this thing that's, uh, there's this sort of trope going around. It's the first time we'll be able to vote on a Tory in a while. And, but I think that <laughs> I think that people will keep him in because he'll be such good value. They'll just yeah, keep yeah. making him eat dick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Leo, what, what fuck you have you got? Uh, so it's Dr. Ella Cockbane at the Jill Dando Institute of Crime Sciences at University College London. So I've actually worked with them before. I used to be a criminal intelligence analyst, but she's published article after article about um, in The Guardian and, and places like that about how 
uh, grooming gangs are a far-right myth, and she deliberately misrepresents uh, the data to to sort of seed this narrative that um, that actually it doesn't it doesn't exist. And I think there's a lot of uh, you know there's hundreds of thousands of um, young women that would disagree, um, and there's there's some that have been killed by by grooming gangs as well. Um, and you know you only need to look at the mugshots to I mean I know our sort of our data around recording you know ethnicity and cultural background and stuff like that isn't isn't very robust. But if you look at the mugshots, there's you know a common a common thread that's that's pretty obvious with uh, with grooming gangs. And what she's saying is like her, the main sort of thread of her argument that grooming gangs don't exist or there isn't any sort of overrepresentation of a certain sort of subsect of uh, you know Pakistani Muslim men. She says that um, well, if you look at uh, sexual offences and uh, and paedophilia overall uh, in the UK, um, white men are the are the biggest, you know, the most represented group. But that doesn't mean that you know the other group isn't overrepresented. Like yeah, yeah, the UK it's just a numbers game. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, relative. the UK is eighty seven percent white, so you'd expect you know you'd expect an overrepresent. You'd expect if everything's equal, eighty seven percent are going to be are going to be white. Um, but with this specific crime, grooming gangs, which also, you know, we've got the issue of a lot of it, you know, wasn't recorded, wasn't reported. Mm. The police didn't get involved in any, any capacity. Um, you know, it's uh, um, like it is, there is an obvious overrepresentation there. And it, I think it's really damaging and dangerous to try and uh, obfuscate that away and then to see this narrative that anybody who mentions it as as uh, a far right extremist. Yeah, I mean, um, I, suppose I, could... mean I, I am a far right extremist, but also yeah, I mean, you definitely this, are, yeah, but... this thing that I'm saying. But luckily, the facts are great. you know uh, helpful to you in this one. I mean, I spoke about <laughs> it in, in my book. I, mean, I it was one of the things I was expecting to get pushback off. But what can you really say? You know, is the fact is, is it was that moment where I remember that at the time in comedy. There was so this blind spot that some people have for you know what's been going on in certain places, especially up north. Yeah. It seems. Um, people used to say, oh, you know, it's political correctness gone mad. So there'd be all these little sort of trivial stories and the left would often mock the idea where political correctness could go mad. But this was a legitimate case where it really did because there's sort of the need, and I guess, you know, it's a valid cultural consideration to say that we know that this news will cause cultural tensions within our community. But when yeah. it comes down to that taking precedence over the, the care of a teenage girl, you yeah. just think you've moved so far from like the original sort of arguments of victimhood and where, where i think it's difficult is because you know in some cases these girls have been treated like that because they're white so this is racism they're yeah. seen as less than that which yeah. i thought was was the, the the principle of racism i mean i mean it's a tough one to get laughs out of really but um, i think <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's i think it's well worth talking about absolutely okay let's go on to an absolute uh, <laughs> comedy cavalcade which is talking about immigration So after a while where immigration sort of really went away as, as, as a live debate, I mean, if you look at a lot of polls, it was it dropped down the list of priorities of British vote, voters, depending on how much stock you put on polls. And then um, Suella Bravman as, was Home Secretary, then she wasn't, then she is. Uh, oh, wait, first first thing before we get really get into this, I have steered clear of doing a couple of jokes about calling her Sue Ellen. Uh, because I thought, like you know, you know, there's this thing where if someone of colour, if you sort of performatively get their name wrong, that's racist. Yeah. Turns out her name is Sue Ellen. <laughs> so why is it Sue Ella? I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, she's got, she, she's got. Was she named after like a character in, in Dynasty or something? Well, yeah. I mean, that was the joke that everyone was kind of wanting to make. And look, correct me if I'm wrong, David Domain, but I'm pretty sure that it is like a, a sort of portmanteau of two names. She also got the nickname Leaky Sue, uh, which I sort of thought sounded like you know on a Hindu of of real like mid middle aged women that have been around the block a couple of times. That does sound <laughs> like one that will be. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Stock her up with tenor pads, and I didn't expect this bit to start here. Um, but she, so she's back in the role, and then she's under pressure because of these ministerial breaches of confidentiality. So she stands up in the Commons yesterday, and by yesterday I mean Monday, and and she kind of comes out fighting against Yvette Cooper, who's uh, holding her to account for these breaches and how the hell she's back in the job. I look cards on the table Suella Bradman, I'm not a massive fan but then she comes out and starts talking about the actual issue of uh, immigration and the numbers I think the numbers this year already 40,000 people have arrived by boat across the south coast which is a massive yeah. increase uh, on the previous year now yeah. the, the, the the spot the the touch paper was that she called it an invasion I, I've got to say I'm not a fan of language like that at all I think I think the it really it sort of gives the opposition an easy stick to beat you with because then then Labour can kind of get off what is their comfort zone, which is not you know they don't really have an answer to this issue they don't really know so they'll just talk about a word right yeah. um, so I guess the the question is the first question I was wondering about was you know as she made herself unsackable with Rishi now because she's gone in so hard if he sacks her. The implication is, well, she can then turn around from the back bench and go, well, he's soft on immigration. He's just like Labour, you know. Yeah. It, it sort of feels like immigration is back as a subject now. Yeah, and it's also back as a thing that's going to happen. I mean, because of uh, demographic shifts, we've got a very low fertility rate in, in the UK. And we've got this, uh, you know, this uh, big wave of uh, a lack of young people, you know, mm. that's, that's going to break over the next sort of 10 years. What well, already is is breaking. So, uh, and all the economists are saying, well, we need uh, higher immigration to provide workers for the economy. We've got like, mm. you know, pretty much record low unemployment at the moment. And it's, uh, so we sort of need more workers for the economy. Um, so a Labour government, especially under Rishi, is going to have high levels of immigration um, because the, you know, it needs to serve. It's a shot in the arm for the economy. It's sort of like steroids for the economy because you're, you're sort of bringing in people to do, the, to do the jobs. You don't need to like wait for 18 years to sort of grow the people. Uh, mm. You can just bring them straight in when they're, when they're working age. Um, but then, you know, you're storing up problems for the future with, um, uh, you know, just cultural shifts and, you know, cultural clashes as well. And also the next uh, generation, you know, second generation at, uh, immigrants quite often don't want to do the the sort of um, maybe more menial jobs that you know first generation immigrants uh, are, are landed with, um, so it's only you know it's only a sort of temporary palliative uh, measure. And also, if Labour get in, they'll have high levels of immigration because they think those people are going to vote for them. So, mm. uh, well, like we did it, during during the noughties when Labour said that there was it when uh, Bulgaria would join the EU, they said they thought there'd be thirteen and a half thousand people, and there was half a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. that, in and that. Really, I mean, the the levels of immigration we've had, like they're just getting higher and higher. Uh, like last year, there's uh, 1.2 million visas issued. Uh, so our, our sort of uh, net immigration was just under a million, I think. Um, mm. So you know, we've got very high levels of immigration in, in this country. Obviously, a lot of it is from um, a lot of it is quite sort of white collar immigration from from Hong Kong or yeah. you know, from from across the the EU or the Commonwealth or whatever. But um, but yeah, the people coming across the coming across the channel, 
Uh, that's a that's a different story because well, I mean people... that is is illegal immigration, and and I think that what's yeah. you know we got everyone seems to have got bound up in words. It's like you can't get around that fact, and this is where I get stuck between two posts where I am not at all comfortable with a word like invasion. Because I mean invasion, any I'm never you know if anyone's going to invade, I don't think rubber dinghies are really. The, um, the means by which you, they don't really look like an invading landing force yeah. and it is a, a, an incendiary word but then you look at the other side of the house and they and the, you they're all, their eyes light up it's like a juicy half folly outside off stump like, oh she said a word we can talk about that and and you know they yeah. start taking refuge in, in, in phrases like safe passage and you go but what does this mean I know it sounds feels great to say safe passage because if if the consequence of safe passage is that the numbers go up even further either you just have a conversation with the British public and go look this is how it's going to be for a while and yeah. there isn't really a way around this and that's possible right is yeah, that there just yeah. isn't a way currently to have lower immigration well yeah and the, and the thing with uh, people coming across the channel which you know I think like people from, coming from Hong Kong or whatever because they're they're coming from Hong Kong. They're already, you know, quite westernized and they've got good jobs. So they're just sort of slotting into society kind of invisibly. It's like, you know, it's like a hot transgender lassie. Whereas, you know, the ones coming across the channel are, you know, this is the lumpy ones with the beards, you know, be like, I'm a woman, you know, and it's like, you know, but the, and they've got to find, you know, places for them under asylum rules. They can't work. Uh, they've, they've got to be housed. There's like 300 hotels in the south of England being used to, to, yeah. to house them. Even like, you know, there's Camelot Castle and stuff like that. Uh, there was, well, it's there was costing like, what is it? It's, I mean, I don't know exactly. One, it's Seven costing million pounds a day. Seven million pounds a day. So what's that? It's about two billion a year. 2.2 billion. 2.2 billion a, a year. A so, year, yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the trouble is, I mean, because everybody knows that the asylum system doesn't really work as an asylum system. Once you're here under the asylum system, you never, you never really leave. Like the guy, the guy who tried to blow up the maternity hospital in Liverpool, um, he was an asylum seeker and he'd been here for like eight years or something. He'd been here for a, for a mm. long amount of time. There's a whole sort of industry of lawyers, uh, all funded by legal aid, funded by the taxpayer, that exist to help people stay and help people get around any, you know, get through any loopholes mm. in the asylum system. And you've got people. Um, so guys that are coming and they're like, um, so they're, they're coming from Muslim countries. But when they get here, they're like, oh, I've converted to Christianity. I, I think the Liverpool um, bomber, he said, I've converted to Christianity. So you can't send me back because I'll be persecuted. Obviously, he hadn't converted to Christianity. It's just it's just another system, another government system that can be gamed. It's like, I know, perfectly capable people who manage to get houses on you know social housing get house, I mean in, in fairness to them pretending to be Christians that is something a lot of middle class parents to do to get in faith schools isn't it I mean <laughs> <laughs> I mean people people say that you know on the one hand I saw Emily Maitlis tweeting that you know 80 percent of asylum claims are successful and stuff but that that is of the proportion of people that are coming that are genuine asylum yeah. seekers which I think most British people are sympathetic towards what oh, we've yeah, had and also also like those those 80 percent That'll include a lot of people who aren't actually seeking asylum, but can game the system. But this it's is like what Suellen said, uh, is, that, <laughs> is that, you know, she said, and this is the thing that might resonate, is that she said the British public aren't stupid. They're aware that within, you know, the, the, the number, you know, there's a lot of le legitimate people that are free in persecution, yeah. but that also the system is being gamed. And that might be, this is, this is why it's tricky ground um, for Labour, because I suppose what is the implication there? Is that because the Tories, you know, they've been in power 12 years. 
If the system's yeah. broken, all this stuff they're saying, it, it's been under their rule. But all they need to do in a way is make the noises that they're going to fix it. Whereas Labour, the implication is, is that their first instinct is to worry about a word rather than what's happening. I mean, if you live on the yeah. south coast of England and particularly in those areas, the way that the care system is being overwhelmed, I, I mean, you might be both uncomfortable with a word like invasion, but also thinking... Fucking hell, like, you know, the, the the services in my area are overwhelmed. So invasion might not be the right word, but there's definitely a word for what's happening. And, and it's it's not a good situation for anybody. What most people think. And as yeah. you said earlier, you know, Rishi and Jezza are trying to soften us up. I mean, there's been talk about VAT potentially going to 25%. That is Jeez. fuck off. That can't, it <laughs> cannot be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's nuts. There needs, needs to be some sort of, because at the moment workers are paying all the the tax, mm. uh, whereas like there's a lot of wealth that's been generated through through nothing like landowners. You know the the price of land rises, but it's the price of land rises because of economic activity yeah. uh, that takes place you know on the land and around the land that isn't necessarily related to who owns the land. So these they're sort of reaping the this sort of rentier capitalism that doesn't bring anything to the table, doesn't mm. but sucks value out. I think there's got to be some way of getting our hands on that money so we don't need to like put all the burden on working people. That kind of capitalism, those ideas that just get between get themselves between two existing things. Like, oh, there's people that want to eat. There's places that do takeaway. Just eat. You're like, fuck. Like, I knew how I'd get this shit before. Yes, the delivery system is is better, but they are taking a shitload from just, just fucking jamming themselves between fat bastards like me. Yeah. And, you know, how, how much are they taking? I mean, Uber, essentially, I mean, minicabs. I mean, it was always dodgy. Do you remember minicabs? You have to go in that place with the, the little portal of yeah. just it was a tiny thing. There's always loads of blokes sitting there smoking, just... Yeah. Sm- the smell of that unique odor of uh, divorced men, and yeah. <laughs> so mini cap was it? I mean Uber, and it's funny, isn't it? Because something like Uber is um, is most likely to be used by the people that would, on the face of it, be most opposed to the more aggressive forms of capitalism. And following up, Uber isn't even successful capitalism. So Uber has never turned a profit, and so far it's it's burnt twenty five billion dollars. Yeah. So basically, when you're getting an Uber, you're getting a taxi subsidized by some venture capitalist in California. So just going back to the, the budget, um, I think that the last few months, you know, what happened with the, the trust the fuck um, budget is that it's left Labour in a tricky position, isn't it? Because for a while, we'd sort of moved to the point that, you know, the austerity at the start of 2010s was like, oh, that was just a... It was just a political choice to murder people. You can borrow as much as you want and there's never... You know, that had become sort of like the narrative. And, yeah. and then that quite quickly moved to the point where you had left-wing commentators going, oh, we, can, we can't spook the markets. We can't spook the markets. Yeah. It's like the markets then became like that fucking like newborn baby sleeping in another room and we were just walking around <laughs> tiptoeing going, shush. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. Just, I just got the markets to sleep. Um, <laughs> so I honestly don't know... It, all of this stuff, right, bit by bit, I know Labour is still ahead in the polls and there's choppy waters, but it does box Labour into a weird position where, how? Do, I mean, they'll be fucking, if Labour get in, they'll be spunking money like a crackhead on gyro day, won't they? Or they'll oh, want yeah, to. I mean, like, well, I mean, basically what we've got is a sort of, you know, reasonably well-functioning Labour government at the moment. So if Labour get in to sort of distinguish themselves, also Labour have become so just beholden to, mm. to sort of, I hate to say the word woke, because uh, I feel like, you know, it's, it's sort of been overused. 
But it's this sort of ideological thing, you know, like with the open borders, you know, all the Labour supporters were like, we need open borders. You know, none of them, none of them are willing to actually house somebody coming across the channel in their own home. But they want open borders as long as, you know, the, uh, the sort of um, impact of it is, is socialised and spread across everyone. But like, if they actually try and implement that, if they try and you know not deal with uh, not deal with border crossings, at least Suella and, and Pretty were were trying to to deal with it, trying to provide some sort of disincentive, being like you know oh if you come across there's a chance you're going to get sent to Rwanda. Uh, so you know they they were at least trying. Labour got nothing, so things will just reach a sort of cataclysmic. They'll either have to like get much worse. Or Labour will have to implement something that looks a lot like a Tory policy. Yeah, this is what I think. is that They seem to be moving to a point where there's almost no wiggle room on any of the big issues. I was thinking about yeah. Suella and Pretty, and even to extent Theresa May. You know, when it comes to Home Secretary, it seems like you've got to be a bit of a hard-ass. Because do you think, yeah. you know, the, the shadow option we had for a long time was, of course, Diane Abbott, who was a very divisive figure. Pretty yeah. Patel, Suella Braverman. Have you just got to be like a bit of a dick? To be because Grant, Grant <laughs> yeah. Shapps was Home Secretary for about two weeks before not having it. Grant Shapps isn't doing the speech that Suella Bravman did yesterday. He's yeah. not. Grant Shapps looked like it every time he stands up, like he's going to do a reading from a psalm, doesn't he? I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I think I think I think Grant Shapps is actually Jewish, but uh, a he reading. is. Yeah, because somebody got somebody got criticised for being anti-Semitic for you know, some sort of criticism of him, and I don't think any of us actually knew he was Jewish until that point. There you go. All right, I'll do the joke again. He looks like a kind of guy to stand up and do a reading from the Torah. Hey? <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Um, we've got a uh, couple of letters here. So the my board level, I've got a new board level of uh, my patron here. These are the absolute, uh, the biggest investors in the podcast. Uh, we've got a few questions here. Uh, Chris Gowans, um, after the Patreon only, which is still available uh, from last Friday, he spoke about the fact that it seems to him that there are quite a lot of people still with spending power. I don't know about you, but in terms of my friends, I've never known people go on as many holidays as they have this year. And I know people probably had vouchers for airlines uh, and so on. But I suppose it does come back to this point that we've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast is that, is that a lot of people saved a lot of money during the pandemic. You know, Britain, yeah. you know, individuals saved in the region of £400 billion, which is roughly what, you know, what the extra spending was. Should we have a working from home tax, right? Because these pricks, they, they, you know, they're saying, oh, I'm being hit by the cost of living. You're going, yeah, but you also had an indirect pay rise because you now only commute two days a week. You're not having to spend all that money at Pret. You're just making fucking marmalade sandwiches in your kitchen. Should yeah. we go, yeah, all right, no, you're saying your work-life balance is better. Let's put a price on it. Yeah, I don't know what I mean. Like, well, my wife works from home and it just makes so much more sense. You don't need to, like, you know, get up early put makeup on which is you know obviously women do that men don't have to but um like then you know get dressed up go across town and it takes like you've already invested like three hours in your mm. working day before you've even started and then you're just going to an office to sit and look as if you're doing work when like really you just need to do your work so yeah if you can just do your work and i think it'll mean like uh, uk companies focus on actual productivity instead of presenteeism when i had a real job I couldn't believe how, uh, like, the presenteeism was so, so much the main thing. Like, I was a consultant, so I just said I had to put on a suit and I had to get there before anybody else did and sit there at my mm. at my laptop looking like I was doing work. Didn't matter if I was only working like two hours a day because as a consultant, you're sort of paid for your uh, um, knowledge or expertise rather than you know to sit and plug away at it. 
So yeah, I, th I think working from home. Also, man, how would you how would you implement that tax? You'd have to bring back the window tax or something. You know what I mean? Because if you're working from home, you're going to want windows. Another question we got here is from Dominic. Uh, it says that with Rishi slowly chipping away at Labour's lead in the polls, do you think Starmer's leadership of the party may come under threat in the next six to eight months? And I don't know how much Rishi can chip away because the he's going to be sailing in the choppy waters for quite a while. And I do think that the the sort of peril that people felt uh, under Liz Truss's premiership is not going to be quickly forgotten. I do think, though, that if there's a narrowing to the point of five points between them, that would that would be great going for Rishi. I do think because like Starmer is keeping a lid on a lot of fighting kittens in a fucking bag, isn't he? I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. they, they're really they're so. I mean, he has basically humiliated the left of his parties, but told them to sort of put up and shut up. And now he's sort of accumulated this poll lead, which is based on virtually nothing that he's fucking done. Just that the other lot have been just machine yeah. gunning their own legs off on a daily basis. So, um, <laughs> so I think yeah, I think that there's two things. One, I don't think necessarily then they will narrow that much but if they did they you know do, you, do you, i mean i don't know it would then take it quite close to an election it's a bit like gareth yeah. southgate going into this world cup everyone's going well it's not going that well but fuck it is the world cup soon let's just go into it i mean could you see him being under pressure leo um yeah possibly i mean the thing is like tories don't tories don't um like labor don't win elections tories lose them so hmm. if the Tories don't motivate their voters enough to, to come out and vote, then then Labour get in. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, you know Starmer's done a for all for all his faults, he's done he's done a really good job of actually sort of purging all the sort of leftist far leftist um, crazy freaks from the from the party. Not the not the sort of pronoun people, but the um, you know the stop the war Jeremy Corbyn types. Hmm. So momentum, he's he's done a good job of suppressing them. And at the at the conference, they had like Union Jacks everywhere. It was like honestly, it was like an Oasis gig in 1998. <laughs> it was amazing. But so he's really making it sort of sellable to to the wider wider population and detoxifying detoxifying Labour. I think the man. If we're looking at uh, parties that are going to fall apart, the Tories are still. Yeah. They look so fractious because you've got so many different uh, se sections. That are, we've we've effectively got proportional representation just in the Tory party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got the you've still got the sort of Liz Truss, uh, the Adam Smith Institute IA section that that wants you know low tax, low growth, you know traditional mm. sort of conservative government. And then you know you've got the ERG people, you've got the pro Brexit people, you've got the people who want to go back into Europe. Um, so yeah, man, I think I think holding all them together is going to be pretty nigh on impossible. And, and they've also there's just a lot of a lot of water under the bridge because they've gone through leaders. There've been so many defenestrations. It's like there's just been a lot of punch ups in this barroom. Do you know what I mean? And you yeah. can kind of broker a piece. Go, oh, Dave, Dave, no, no, Dave, Dave, no. He, did, he didn't mean to smash you with a glass. He just happened to have it in his hand. He was trying to punch you with a fist. It was just a nasty accident that you did get glassed in the eye. And kind yeah. of like, you know, your mate, you two go away, but you shouldn't even be fighting. We're all on yeah. the same side. And then all it takes is just one thing for somebody whips out a snooker cue. Oh, yeah, it's definitely kicking off in the taxi rank again, you know? <laughs> Undoubtedly. 
Uh, we got a message uh, from Matthew Chrisley uh, that says, do you feel like politics became instantly boring when Rishi took over? He's far too sensible to rationally call an early election and will probably end up winning a small majority after an inevitable Labour implosion. I don't know, Matt. I mean, I think that... <laughs> I think if Starmer can keep his poll lead above double digits, I think Labour will. They are just most of the sensible ones. Are so desperate to get the Tories out that they will, um, they will sort of hold together uh, up to an election. I don't know what thing it would be that would actually rip them apart. It might be there might be like a pre-star election pledge from Starmer where he just does something so fucking Tory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I kind of, I mean, he's sort of already with the Union Jacks and everything and all the the signaling and sort of the, the sort of economic signaling as well. I think he's he's sort of, he's done all that already. I don't think he's, everybody knows that like to get elected, you've got to be Tony Blair. Even if like, you know, even if you, you're a green haired pronoun person or, mm. you know, a, a hard left person to get elected, you can't be, you can't be like, you know, that crazy. So yeah, I think, man, if he just, if he just plows away, He's he's got like undoubtedly he's undoubtedly going to be the next the next prime minister after after Rishi Sunak. But I think it'd be great for us, man. I'm really looking forward to a labor uh, a labor government. It'd be terrible for the country, but I think it'd be fantastic for me personally, my career. If yeah, I yeah. The lone voice that's criticizing the government. You're the, the other lone voice. Criticizing the Two lone voices. <laughs> that's it. that's the name for a podcast, isn't it? An oxymoron. Well, no, I think that yeah, and then we would be able to say because there are people. You probably get this. That when I criticize Starmer, they say you're punching down. I go, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> he is the bookies' even money favourites to be the leader of this country. And um, so yeah. then, when he gets in power, as seems likely, then is it punching down to be mean about the toys? They're the opposition. Then I'm sure yeah. these people will find an argument as to why actually we need left wing comics on shows more than ever. But do you remember yeah. there was that period with topical panel shows where it li- literally colleagues of ours would say things like, "We can't have Tory comedians on panel shows because all they'll go on is do is say how great the government are." And I'm, I just can't wait to bust that out <laughs> when Labour get go. Well, we can't have any of them on because I mean, well, what yeah, chance yeah. is there? I mean, it's almost like political comedians could criticise both ways. All right, just a quick hype here. So a reminder, we've got the gigs coming up, uh, Jeff Norcott and Friends, which are, are both on sale now. On the 25th of January, that's at the Backyard Comedy Club, and on the 2nd of March, Thursday the 2nd of March, at the Wardrobe in Leeds. So if you go and search those, anybody can buy tickets. You can buy tickets. If you are a patron, if you're a board uh, member and VIP, uh, there'll be you'll be guaranteed free tickets, and I will be getting in touch soon about those things, and there'll be quite a few free tickets to share out with the rest of the patrons as well. So just keep keep them peeled on your messages I know that uh, the Patreon would have just done their payment run and maybe bumped people out but get back involved because there's the Jeff Norcott and Friends gigs coming up and there will be uh, I'm promising I'm going to commit to this now an online gig in January just that pissy bit of January you know like whatever what's it called like Suicide Monday Um, (laughs) yeah I'll I'll do some new material imagine if you're doing a Zoom a Zoom gig and you see somebody on that day and you see somebody just hanging themselves in the corner Mate, that's what I was thinking. If I'm doing new material, if somebody's considering <laughs> it, it might be that little bit of motivation to push them over the edge. Uh, just before yeah. we um, crack on, we've got a few new patrons here. There's a, there's a, a bunch of ladies, which is nice. We've got Anne Simon, Anne Simon, Anne Simon. Her Sounds name like is a perfume. Yeah, Anne, yeah, yeah. The new fragrance from Anne Simon. Fire, passion. They just say words, don't they? Yeah. They just they literally like uh, sexuality, essence. 
and Simon. You go, all right, let's be honest, the main reason I'm going to buy this is because Charlize Theron is wearing it. So you can say whatever fucking words you want. You could just go, <laughs> you could go, shit, wank stain. Moist. <laughs> Charlize Theron should have got more shit for playing, what's her face, that Eileen Wuornos. So she really uglied herself up. She wore ugly face. Did she? Talk about blackface. She wore ugly face. She had her, had her teeth all, she wore fake bad teeth, you know, made herself all ugly to play like Eileen Wuornos, that serial killer. And like we've got, there's ugly out of work actors looking for work. And then they, they're getting their work taken away from them by a, a beautiful actor. Uh, you know, pretty privilege is a genuine thing. I mean, like I think it counts yeah. almost like good looking privilege is almost the strongest kind of privilege. I mean, it's been, it's been, there was a study a while ago that says, suggested that if you were good looking, you were less likely to be found guilty of murder. <laughs> I mean, Ted Bundy. I yeah. mean, if any, anyone seen Ted the, Bundy, yeah, the, it's a footage of the the judge with Ted Bundy, like basically trying to be his mate, just like laughing at his jokes, going "fucking Ted, <laughs> legend, legend." Sorry, yeah, no, no, yeah, he killed people, but uh, mate, you know what I mean? He's got he's got banter though, isn't it? Um, we've also got Shona, which I always think is the hardest Scottish girl name ever. You would just. Any woman yeah. called Shona will. Fr- she won't just like. She won't fight like that slappy, slappy, pull your weave thing. It'll be. It'll oh yeah, be closed no. knuckle. Full on right cross. A full on fucking right cross in the face. She'll bring yeah. the knee up. We've got Shona. We also got <laughs> Sally Duffel. Shona and Sally Duffel sound like people who terrorised Glasgow in the late seventies. <laughs> Debt collectors. <laughs> Shona and Sally Duffel arrived. <laughs> Have you got any jewellery? Get the rings <laughs> off your fingers. Yeah, I'll melt that down within the hour. I'll fucking melt you down, you wee shite. Um, I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write a really gritty Glaswegian crime novel. <laughs> Shona and Sally Duffel. It'd be like a British Thelma and Louise. Um, and we've also got uh, Brennan King. Brennan King. Yeah. Is it, doesn't that sound? That sounds like the, like he's the master of doing something. Like he's the Brennan King. Like Brennan yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is a kind of like Irish hip hop. <laughs> yeah, or Brennan is a type of like unleavened cake made from uh, <laughs> peat moss. So, Leo, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, you were in the process with a, a very established booker of trying to get a national tour together. Obviously, you've been doing a lot of telly. You, you know, your follower numbers have built up and uh, it's got to the point where that was uh, on the cards for you. But explain explain what's happened and the problems that you've come up against. Yeah, so a couple of months ago, I got contacted by Bound and Gag, who are a big promoter. I've worked with them before on like Edinburgh yeah. shows and stuff and, you know, they're kind of, kind of mates. And uh, they said, you know, with the... Um, with what you've said, like doing all the, the GB news and stuff, uh, do I want to do a tour and just, you know, see how it goes? You know, it's not likely that I'd sell, you know, huge numbers of tickets, but it would be, it'd be something and we could, we could make some money and have some fun. And I was like, yeah, totally. Like, let's, let's do it. And then, you know, what they do, they, they take loads of people on tour. So they just contact venues and they say, okay, these are, you know, this is who we're, we're going to, normally they just get slotted in. There's not any, any issue, but this time around, you know, they went to these, uh, these venues and they said um like you know this is leo this is show and the venues were like the venues just emailed back being like or or said on the phone we can't take him he's problematic he's transphobic you know he does these youtube videos and all all the rest of it um you know obviously the stuff i do in my my comedy set and my show you know wouldn't be the Mm. same as my, my youtube videos but um yeah loads of them and the annoying thing is they won't tell me which ones i know um well, there's a chain of clubs 
um, glee that, that uh, pushed back. But it wasn't because, you know, the top bosses were like, you know, we, we can't take him. I got in touch with the the uh, top boss guy at this, this chain of clubs, and, and he was like, oh, man, uh, like, I, I didn't know this. So I wasn't aware of this. Um, and he got them to sort of overrule it. The trouble is, like, to, before you get to the, the top boss guy, the guy wants to make money. There's like some blue-haired 22-year-old answering the emails, and they get to decide. They're the gatekeeper. They're the milk monitor who gets to, mm. you know. Well, it's like what, it's like social media. Stage. It's like younger people running social media accounts. Yeah. It's just people think, well, if I put that person in place, like there was somebody recently that uh, tried was saying, oh, I, you know, I'd love to see Jeff Norcott and Alexis Sale on a podcast together. Now, my presumption was that Alexis Sale wasn't going to fancy that, but. Um, they sort of added us both into a tweet, and uh, the answer was fairly st- strident. No, now that might have been Alexis. <laughs> that might have been Alexis Sale, but that might well have been just a younger person that was just running that account for them. That yeah. sort of bringing their own value system um, to bear. I mean, I mean, on the one hand, you must have thought, well, I'm getting cut through. They, they all know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if they wouldn't have bought a ticket, is it some of the some of the Dubai tickets to like come and come and hate watch. Maybe I get a lot of hate watchers because I do a show uh, every every month or so, uh, Top Secret, a solo show, and I did one um, last October. And somebody wrote a complaint email to Top Secret and said uh, we came to see Leo here's a show in June, and it was disgusting and offensive and horrific and all the rest of it. And we came back to see it again in October, and it was still <laughs> horrific and offensive. You know, can you please stop putting this show on? It's like, man, like, why, why are you coming to see some? You know, you're not going to enjoy. I'm not going to suddenly turn into Josie Long over the course of four months, but, um, but yeah. So people, people do want to do want to get upset. But man, I, I just feel like, you know, people talk about diversity and inclusion, equality, diversity and inclusion. It's like shouldn't everyone have like equal access to what they want to see? You know, shouldn't diversity include diversity of opinion and include my mm. voice as well as Josie Long's or whoever and I, I just think it's you know to turn around and say you know we can't no we can't have that person it's uh it's, it's a really sort of anti-democratic thing well I mean it is like because I think that on on social media um you are a stronger flavor because I I don't think I can't see there's anything in your stand-up set as, as I've seen it that is that shocking or more shocking than some of the the kind of household name edgelord type comedians out there so i mean i guess you are you are quite blunt on social media do you think that are they taking a, a you know a, a reading on um on you more based on that perhaps than actually your 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 work yeah but i think we should you know comedians com- the, the point of a comedian apart from making people laugh is to sort of question things and especially you know, receive wisdom or the orthodoxies mm. of the time. And I think it's important to always be be questioning it. And if you shut people down and don't let people question it, like all true progress comes from from questioning. Mm. And, you know, it's seen as, as heretic at the start. So, you know, Galileo, for example, uh, saying that the, the earth goes around the sun instead of the sun going around the earth. That was that was totally heretical. I know it, it wasn't a stand-up comedian. It wasn't. A no, fact, no, now you said that somebody's going to say, at one point in this frankly fucking absurd loving between two gammons, Leo <laughs> Kurz literally compared himself to Galileo. Yeah, well, I've got the same name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Galileo, yeah. He was put under house arrest. They said he was, you know, heretic and everything, even though he was right. And I think the thing that people don't like about me is that I'm always right. So the stuff I say, it might be horrific, but it's true. I mean, you know, you can rationalize away, you can try, try mm. and obfuscate it and try and hide it. But then, you know, it's like we've seen in Sweden and Italy. If you try and suppress 
these things, if you try and stop people talking about immigration or you try and build this narrative that like mm. uh, diversity is, is your strength and it's always going to be be healthy and be good, eventually it's going to burst out with, you know, some sort of, you know, far right party being elected. Also, the other thing is, man, as you know, if I genuinely, I, I don't consider myself far right. I'm like basically uh, 90s left wing, which is now, you know, right wing. Yeah, yeah. a lot of mate, it's but, a lot of us, yeah. But like if you, if you silence uh, right wing artists, Man, we're going to have some time in our hands, and you know we're going to start political parties and all the rest of it because we can't get anywhere doing our art. Mm. Look at just just think how much nicer the Second World War would have been if Hitler had been encouraged with his watercolors instead of you know we could have. We, but we you know, but they would like, say, but they would argue, yeah, you know, but his paintings were shit, and that's because right wing people are shit at art. So you know, all, all, the, all they're good at, Leo, is actually stirring up hate. Um, I mean, I, that's why I, 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 I mean, I obviously, you know, you, you, you are, you're more blunt than I am. I've become a coward, you know, in these spheres over the years. I just, I just, well, certainly on social media, I want, I want a quiet life. Is there, is there a part of you that just, were you a bit, I mean, if you're honest, were you a bit, bit shocked by this? Did it make you question how, you know, you're, you're coming across on social media and stuff? Yeah, man. No, I was I was really shocked. I don't say anything that I can't, you know, I can't back up. I never, mm. um, you know, I never jumped to make any make any leaps or anything. Um, so, you know, my, my background is in is in policing and and um, criminal intelligence analysis. So, you know, everything I say can be sort of verified and validated. It's just the truth often isn't what people want to hear, and it's mm. not. Um, it doesn't match with the cosy sort of uh, platitudes that we've been, we've been drilled into us. So but people would be these guys would be because you are like a very kind and helpful person. Like if I thought of somebody on the circuit that if someone was in trouble that you would do something, it would be you, you know you would be one of those people that would do that. But the problem I suppose is with social media is that, and this is why I've backed away to a degree, is people can just read it with whatever's in their head, especially Twitter, where they can just superimpose whatever fucking angst uh, is within their heart onto what you said. So when you, genuinely, like with your stand-up, I, d I don't think, you know, like I, don't, I think like mu the vast majority of people come to see one of your shows and think that you push the envelope a bit, but, you know, it's all reasonable in the moment. But that's the problem, isn't it, with, with particularly written social media, is they can just take it away and... And interpret it themselves. You know, they can yeah. really just literally give it a different meaning to what you said. Yeah, and and with spoken stuff as well. I was really surprised when Victoria Corrin Mitchell, uh, I cracked this like just little throwaway line on uh, headliners on GB News. So we're discussing mm. uh, Nazanin Zagari Radcliffe, uh, you know, the Iranian uh, yeah. spy slash teacher or whatever, who, you know, was finally returned to Britain after Britain paid loads of money and, you know, made loads of effort. And she was really like, you know, she just blamed Britain. She didn't have any blame for uh, the Iranian government, but she, you know, she had a yeah, lot of blame yeah. for, for Boris. So I just said, uh, you know, which I think rankled with, with a lot of people, including me. So I, I, my line was just like, oh, so Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe, which is Iranian for ungrateful. And it was just like a, a sort of, you know, crass, mm. Uh, through yeah. we line, but it got, it got a laugh. I thought it was a I thought it was a funny line. And um, uh, Victoria Corrin Mitchell was all like, "Oh, this is disgusting and racist and all that." It's like, what? I'm just it's, it's just a, it's a it's a line. It's a joke. I'm just referencing the fact that. I mean, she said it was racist because uh, I said it was Iranian when in fact Iranians speak Farsi, and it's like it's a it's fucking comedy. If I'd mm. said Farsi, everybody knows, like Darius, my best mate, is Iranian. I know about 
Farsi. But if I'd yeah. said Farsi, it wouldn't have been as funny because it wouldn't have been in sort of character as this crass, boorish sort of, you know, guy in the pub. Which I think, you know, I think comedy has to be a persona. Okay, well, but look, if there's any promoters of any venues, art centres and stuff like that that are sort of outraged at what's happened with Leo, do get in touch at whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com and I can put you in touch. And who knows, you know, you might be able to sort out something more uh, ad hoc in the long run. All right, let's just do one letter before we're out. Okay, so this is just a, a hypothetical fight which we haven't done one of these for a while. And this is to do uh, with the with the news that Matt Hancock's going into the jungle. Who would win a fight between Matt Hancock and Chris Moyles? <laughs> I mean, that, this is from Stephen Stephen Dumfries. I mean, just go, when today started, I did... I, I did not think, I mean, you might know him, but um, I did not think that this was a question that we'd be asking. Matt Hancock and Chris Moyles. Chris Moyles is quite... I think this is a... This, I think... Chris Moyles would absolutely monster him. Chris Moyles no. is... Matt Chris Hancock... Moyles depends depends would... what the arena, what the fighting arena is like. Because Chris Moyles is a big lad. Unless he's he's slimmer now. No, he's slimmer now. Oh, I, I, think, I think this is to the extent that Matt Hancock pisses himself halfway through the fight. I think, but with Matt Hancock, all that sort of emotional stuff, you don't get to be like a top-level politician while crying every five minutes. I think that emotional stuff is going to put on. Everybody saw Barack Obama do it. He was like, yeah, this is how you connect with voters. I'm going to cry a bit sometimes as well. So he's, he's sort of laying it on a bit. I think Matt Hancock, wasn't he? Um, there's there's two of them. There's Matt Hancock and there's another one that are actually pretty hench. I saw a picture of Matt Hancock from like his, his university days. I think it was a roar or something like that. And he was, yeah, he yeah. was absolutely stacked. So I think he's still going to have that muscle memory. Even if he doesn't get to the gym, you know, six days a week like he used to. He's still going to have that muscle memory. Also, he's got, he's got like now he's uh, he's fighting for his uh, he's fighting for his life. He's fighting for his you know desperation kicks in. Do you think he? Do you think he's biting maybe a few bites like real illegal stuff? And and Chris yeah. Moore's would just presume like I did that he was an absolute weakling. And then, yeah. like, the shock of realising that he was actually in a scrap where Hancock just gets in his ears and goes, I'll fucking murder you, you twat. Or he just, like, yeah. something really shocking, like, oh, he's got the trash talk as well. He yeah. bites he bites an ear or so. And then Chris Moore's like, I don't want none of that. I don't want... Yeah, so I think I think we've got it here. It's a submission by Chris Moore's halfway through round two. Just got way more than he bargained for. Hancock, blood dripping from his mouth, eyes wide. Yeah. Uh, he takes a W. he's for human flesh now, and he's coming for other... <laughs> former DJs. Okay, Leo, thank you so much for coming back on what most people think. Obviously, your YouTube channel is a big part of what you do now, so people just search YouTube, Leo Curse, yeah. they should be able to find oh, yeah, you. And I've, got, um, I've got my own Patreon as well, so I put like, you know, I put half my stuff up on up on YouTube, yeah. and then I put other stuff on uh, Patreon, so there's like a roast of Count Dankula that's, uh, that's really funny and definitely isn't for public consumption, and I've got, um, you know, my Clown World podcast where I go through just really ridiculous stuff from yeah. uh, from from the world, all the crazy, you know, woke overreaches and um, and stuff like that. Cool. Well, listen, if, if you've ever thought Leo, and I don't think this will be many people, you thought, I really think Leo Curse is holding back. Well, um, <laughs> if you really, if you want to see what he says, uh, we're, we're, he's unconstrained, do check out his Patreon. And Leo, thanks very much for being on What Most People Think. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Great to, great to be on it. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Oh,